Hebrews chapter 8 introduces by name the concept of the new covenant. We've already been looking at the new covenant in the book of Hebrews, but here's where he finally gets into what the new covenant is. And it is compared to the old covenant, which is the law, the Old Testament law that was written on paper. And now you and I have a new covenant. We're going to see that it actually refers to it as a better covenant. It's not that the law was bad. It's that the law was imperfect. It, it, it's that the law could not change you. The law could show you where you needed to change, but it could do nothing to help you change. But Jesus Christ in chapter seven, we were told, can save to the uttermost. God, he can do, he can, he can forgive, he can cleanse, he can empower. The spirit of God is inside of us. And we now have this introduction of the new covenant. Now, I want to cover the first few verses here. And then I want to talk about five things that we should know about the new covenant. So if you can take notes, maybe you can do so on your phone. You might want to get that ready because I think that these five things are important for us in understanding the new covenant. Um, one of the reasons this is so important for our time is because there are several groups now that are growing that believe that we still need to keep the first covenant, that we are under the law, that the law was never finished. This is really important, and I'm going to get into the details here. But Jesus did, he said, I didn't come to do away with the law. Not one jot or tittle of the law will pass away until it is fulfilled. Jesus used the word until, meaning it will pass away. Not one jot or tittle of it's going to pass away until it is fulfilled. It's like an artist that's working on a grand painting, and he finishes it, and he moves on to a new grand painting. The old painting isn't bad. It's not, it's not that it wasn't worthy of being painted. It's just finished. And that's the old covenant. It was grand. It was, it was fantastic. But it was, it was weak and it's finished. And it is finished because Jesus fulfilled it. They don't, we don't give sacrifices now. We are not under the law and we don't have to give sacrifices because Jesus became the ultimate sacrifice. We don't have to have a high priest that gives sacrifices for us because Jesus became our high priest. Jesus is our Sabbath, so we don't keep the Sabbath day anymore. If you want to keep the Sabbath day, you're free to. The Bible says you're free to do those kind of things, but we don't have to anymore because Jesus became our Sabbath. It's not that we did away with the Sabbath or the idea of rest was bad, but Jesus said, if you're weary, then come unto me and I will give you rest. So let's pick it up here in verse one. We'll start to make our way through and then we're going to talk about five things that every Christian should know about the new covenant. So in verse one, it says, and this is the main point. Now, remember in chapter seven, he's talking about Jesus being a high priest forever by the order of Melchizedek. Why do you need an earthly priest that's going to die by, and by necessity has to give sacrifices for himself? when Jesus was able to die for us once and for all. So this is the main point of the things we are saying. We have such a high priest, that is Jesus according to the order of Melchizedek, who is seated at the right hand of the throne of majesty in the heavens. So Jesus is seated on a throne with the Ancient of Days. Verse two, a minister of the sanctuary and the true tabernacle 
which the Lord erected and not man. We learned in chapter 7 that the tabernacle, later on the temple, was a copy of a reality that is in heaven and that the things of the law were a shadow of that which was real, of something that was an actual image that was in heaven. So that people are hanging on to the shadow when they're hanging on to the law, not the reality. And here he says that God erected a tabernacle in heaven. Tabernacle is the word for tent. They had the tabernacle that had the bronze altar, that had the wash basin, that had the holy place, that had the holies of holies behind it, and the Ark of the Covenant that was behind that, where sacrifices were given to cover the sins of man because the blood of bulls and goats cannot take away sin, but the blood of Jesus Christ actually took our sins away so we do not have to give perpetual sacrifices. And these things, all of those things, and that's the value of studying books like Leviticus and Exodus, which a large chunk, and Exodus is a hard book to study. The, 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 the historical part is easy. When you get to the second part and it starts talking about the tabernacle and it gives the exact dimensions and what every curtain is supposed to be like and what every beam is supposed to be like and the decorations that were on it. But all of those things are important because they are a copy of something that is up in heaven. Now, how exact it is, whether those copies, these copies represent things that are actual literal in heaven, that we don't know. But we do know that these things are inferior to that which is the reality that is up in heaven. And we can't understand that. So read verse 2 again. A minister of the sanctuary, this is Jesus, our high priest in heaven, who sits at the right hand of the Father, is a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle which the Lord erected and not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices. They would give, they would take gifts from individuals to give unto God. So when people wanted to give a gift to God, they could give a gift. They had to give sacrifices for their sins to be forgiven. And every high priest had to give both gifts and sacrifices. Therefore, it is necessary that this one also have something to offer. That is, talking of Jesus by the order of Melchizedek. For if he were on earth, he would not be a priest, since there are priests who offer the gifts according to the law, that is, the descendants of Aaron. So Jesus is in heaven by the, a priest by the order of Melchizedek. He's not here on earth, otherwise it would be through the law, who serve the copy of the shadow of the heavenly things, which I don't think I need to go back into again, right? So they on earth serve the copy of the shadow of the heavenly things as Moses was divinely instructed when he was about to make the tabernacle. For he said, see that you make all things according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. And the reason the pattern is important is because they are a shadow of the original. But now he has obtained a more excellent ministry. The ministry of Jesus as a high priest for us that cleanses our sins is a more excellent ministry than the ministry of the high priest that was a descendant of Aaron. He talks about the new covenant being a better covenant, this being a more excellent ministry. Inasmuch as he is a mediator, this is Jesus, a mediator is someone who goes between, he is a mediator 
of a better covenant, which was established on a better promise. So notice verse six, a more excellent ministry, a better covenant, a better and better promises. These are over the law. Now there are those who will say, no, he's not saying that they're better than the law. It's saying that they're better than not having anything at all. All you got to do is go back and look at context. You can say anything you want to say in order to try to defend your position. But my question is, are you being honest when you say it? It is obvious in this section that he's comparing the law with the new covenant. The law is the old covenant. This is the new covenant. And the new covenant is more excellent. The new covenant is better. The promises are better. Moses was a mediator for the old covenant. Moses went up on top of that mountain and God gave him the, the Ten Commandments. God gave him the law. So God spoke to Moses who went down and spoke to the people. So Jesus is a mediator between us and God and he is a mediator of a better covenant, which is what it says. Again, it doesn't mean that the old covenant was bad. It doesn't mean we're attacking the old covenant or that we feel, that we feel like the, the Old Testament is, is not worthy of being followed. We're simply saying it's been completed. It's been fulfilled. Something better is here for us now, and there's a reason that it is better. Now, let's, uh, let's talk about those five things that all of us should know about the new covenant because this is going to help us to understand why it would use these terms, better promises, um, the, uh, more excellent ministry, better covenant, better promises. It helps us to understand why that is the case. Number one, Moses spoke of the new covenant. And let, let me just, let me lay the foundation for the covenants first, and, and then let's talk about this. Sorry, just got a little ahead of myself. Um, so there are people that believe that there are eight covenants that have been made, that God, and a covenant is just an agreement, okay? So if you and I have a legal agreement today, we sign a paper. That's how we sign a covenant between us, and it's binding by the law because we sign it. And if we want to get out of it, we've got to have a mediator, we've got to go to court. So God in, in, in made covenants with man, but God swore oaths in these covenants. And so there are some that find a total of eight covenants. There are five covenants for sure. And some say there's an Edenic covenant. That's a covenant in Eden. When God said to man, have dominion over the earth, that God was making a covenant with man. And then they would say that there is an Edemic covenant and a covenant with Adam. Then they would say there is a noetic covenant, a covenant with Noah, which is, by the way, a covenant. God calls it a covenant, an agreement that he made with Noah. That would be one that we would say would be for sure. Then he had a for sure covenant with Abraham, which he gave him the land and promised it to his descendants. And he promised that one coming from him would bless all nations. That's the covenant of Abraham. Then there was a covenant of Moses, which we again know is the covenant. And this is what's called the old covenant or the law. Then there's the covenant of David where God promised this is apart from the law, but through the line of Judah, that someone would set upon the throne of David forever. And then there's the new covenant. And the new covenant is particularly contrasted with the law, with the old covenant. Now, some people want to say there's eight and five. It doesn't, I, I, I don't know that it matters all that much. I mean, if you want to get down to strictly calling something a covenant, you could probably even get more than eight, all right? 
But people want to argue over these things. I'm like, I don't, I don't know that we need to argue. We do know that there's five main covenants in the Bible. And I'm not saying the other ones aren't covenants. I'm just saying there's five main ones. And th those are the ones that I covered. Not the Eden and the Adam, but the other ones. So um, the first thing that we need to know is that Moses actually, the, the one who was the mediator for the first covenant, actually spoke of the second covenant. So the number one, everything we need to know about covenants, Moses spoke of the new covenant. The one that gave us the old covenant spoke of the new covenant. And this is in Deuteronomy. That's the second giving of the law. Remember the book of Exodus is the first giving. The book of Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy being two, Deuteronomy is the second law given to the new generation that was going to go into the promised land. So he gave Exodus to the first generation, Deuteronomy to the second generation. And they, they basically say the same things. You're going to find some differences, but they're basically the same. And then it says in, in Deuteronomy 30, verse 6, And the Lord your God will circumcise your hearts and the heart of your descendants to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, that you may live. This is different than the law. The law given by, circumcision was given to Abraham, and then the law was to keep those 10 commandments and the 613 commandments that were in the law. But it never had that your heart would have the flesh cut away from it, which is the circumcision of the heart, that you would live by the spirit and not by the flesh, and that the hearts of your descendants. So there would be an ongoing movement of God to work in the hearts of people's lives. The second thing we need to know about the covenant is that Jeremiah spoke directly of the covenant and he used the same verbiage that, no, that uh, Moses used. Jeremiah spoke directly of the covenant using the same verbiage that Moses used. And this is in Jeremiah 31, verses 31 through 34. He says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant. This is in the Old Testament. In other words, God didn't just all of a sudden get to the new covenant in the New Testament and go, surprise, new covenant. Old one's not good anymore. We got one now. We fulfilled that one. God foretold us that it was on its way. So we could be ready. We could be prepared. I, I, I will make with you a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. This isn't just for Gentiles. As Gentiles, the question as to whether or not we should keep the law is really not a question at all. But if you're Jewish and you become a Christian, and this is Judea Christianity, should you continue to keep the Old Testament laws to be right with God? I'm not saying you're not free to keep the laws, to keep the feasts, to keep Sabbath. I'm saying you don't have to in order to be right with God. You don't have to in order to be close to God. And that's what's going to be explained here. I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel, the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them and led them out of the land of Egypt. So that tells us right there what this covenant is contrasting to. I'm going to give you a new covenant that is different than the covenant that I gave to your fathers when I led them out of Egypt. He led them by Moses. They left Egypt. They went to Mount Sinai. They were given the law. Then they went on their journey to the promised land, rejected it, wandered for 40 years. So we know what covenant that this is. Again, context tells us everything. And then he says, um, my covenant, which they broke. So God didn't break that covenant. God would have kept that covenant forever with them had they not broke the covenant. 
Even Moses had foretold about the new covenant, saying that they would break the covenant and be scattered around the world. And he says, My covenant which I broke, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. But, uh, but this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law on their minds. I will write them on their hearts. Same thing Moses said. And I will be their God and they will be my people. Then he's talking about a future time for Israel now. The time of the millennium. Right now there are people that teach know the Lord. After every service I give people a chance to get to know God. If you don't know him then you can invite him into your life now and you can know him. But the time's coming when no one is going to teach anyone to know the Lord. And this is, it goes on to talk about that time. It says, no more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother saying, know the Lord. For they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest, says the Lord. And I will forgive their iniquities. So this new covenant has to do with the forgiving of iniquities. And I will forgive their iniquities and their sins I will remember no more. That's God in Jeremiah, working through Jeremiah the prophet, talking about the new covenant that's on its way. The third thing that we need to know about the new covenant is that Jesus instituted it. Jesus instituted the new covenant. Luke 22:20. 20. Likewise, he also took the cup after supper. This is him giving communion to us. Likewise, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood which is shed for you. Jeremiah had said that he would forgive their iniquities. Now Jesus says, this cup is the new covenant of my blood that is shed for you. Jesus is the one who instituted the new covenant. Would there be any reason for us to reject it? Would there be any reason for someone who is Jewish to reject the new covenant and go back to the old covenant? And remember, that's what's happening in the days that this was written. There were Jewish Christians. They, they had given their lives to Christ. They were living for him, but they were being persecuted. There were difficulties, and they thought, we'll just go back to Judaism. We'll just not follow Jesus anymore because those things in Judaism speak of Jesus anyway. And so they were going back to the law, having a relationship with God by the law, and giving up this relationship with Jesus. Why would we go back? Maybe things would be easier here on earth, but you're going to give up walking with him, being, being called a Christian, living for him who gave us this covenant. The fourth thing that we need to know about the new covenant is the new covenant takes away sin. Now, I've already referred to that in Jeremiah. I already referred to it with Jesus saying, this is the cup of the new covenant, the shedding of my blood, which we know from Ephesians is for the remission of sins. But listen to what Romans 11, 25 through 27 says. For I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinion, opinion, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. God's going to bring the entire nation of Israel back again, at least the vast majority of them. And then he says, and so all Israel will be saved, as it is written. The deliverer will come out of Zion, and he will turn away ungodliness from Jacob, for this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. So the new covenant is to remove sins. One more verse, 
And then we're going to get to the fifth thing. And that's Hebrews 9, 15. And for this reason, he is a mediator of the new covenant by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant. So now we know the first covenant is the law. That those who are called may receive the promises of an eternal inheritance. Not only is it the forgiveness of our sins that we were found guilty under the first covenant by, but that we receive an eternal inheritance. I don't know, any of you guys here have a relative die, maybe parents, and leave you a big inheritance? I, I bet you if there are any here that have had that happen, there's a lot more of us in here that have had parents die and leave us no inheritance, right? But we have God, when we die, we will receive an inheritance. We are co-inheritors, according to the book of Ephesians, with Jesus. It is so valuable that in Corinthians, when Paul's getting ready to write to the Corinthians about all their problems, in chapter one, Paul says to the Corinthians, you have everything. I think the Corinthians thought they had nothing, but they had it all. We have an inheritance with Christ. The fifth thing that everyone should know about the new covenant is that we, the church, the ecclesia, that we are servants of the new covenant. We are ministers of the new covenant. The word minister simply means servant. And it is the word for household servant. We raise the word up today. Yes, I'm a minister. You're a servant. That's what it means. And so listen to what it says in 2 Corinthians 3, 6. Who also made us sufficient. So God's doing the work to make you sufficient as ministers of the new covenant. God makes you sufficient as servants of the new covenant. Not of the letter, that's the law, the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, the law brings death, the letter kills, but the spirit brings life. This is why we're the salt and the light. This is why we have been given the keys to the kingdom. This is why the gates of hell won't prevail against us because we are ministers of a better covenant. This is so important to us because not only are we under this new covenant, not only are our sins forgiven and we have an inheritance by this new covenant that is so much better, right? After we start looking at it, but we are actually servants of this new covenant. Hebrews 7.22 says, but so much more, Jesus has become the surety of a better covenant. The, the surety, the word is an interesting word. It's, it's akin to credit. It's, it's like when you put up your house as collateral. Jesus is the, I don't know if we want to say collateral of the new covenant, but he's the surety that it's going to happen. The new covenant is active because of Jesus. And those are the five things that we should know about the new covenant. Now let's go on to look at what chapter eight says about the rest of it. It says in verse 7, For if the first covenant had been faultless, then no place would have been sought for a second. Again, the context cannot be denied that the first covenant is the law of Moses. Some, you can, you can, there are, there are ad hoc arguments. An ad hoc argument is an argument that's just made up. 
There, and a lot of people do ad hoc arguments. If you're talking, if you're witnessing to somebody and they start just asking you questions, they just start saying things like, well, Jesus never existed. And, and, and the Bible was written hundreds of years afterwards. They're just, they're not looking at the evidence at all. They're not making an educated statement. They're just ad hocing. They're just make, they're just throwing out arguments. And that's what this, this, that would be an ad hoc argument. When someone says, well, the, you know, this isn't the law of Moses. Uh, okay. How? What, what's your, what, what's your scriptures? What's your evidence for that? Well, it just isn't. It's talking about something different. It's talking about something else. But it makes the connection and the context says it. So people could say whatever they want to say, but we can go back to the context and we can look at it ourselves and we can read it and see what it means. Verse 9. Well, let's get back to verse 7 again. Let me just read verse 7 again. For if the first covenant had been faultless, then no place would be sought for a second covenant. Because finding fault with them, he says, behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. So he's quoting Jeremiah 31, which we already read. So the law had, it wasn't faultless. Now you, you got to be very careful here when you're talking about it because Paul said himself in Romans, the law is not bad, the law is good. So when you talk about trying to describe what does it mean that the first covenant was, uh, if the first covenant had been faultless, there would be no need for a second one. What does it mean that it was faultless? It just means it was weak. It just means it couldn't save you. It could show you your sin, but it couldn't forgive you of your sin. Even when you went and sacrificed animals in it, your sin was only covered. It was not done away with. And you had to cover it and cover it and cover it. Jesus takes away the sin. And then in verse 9, he says, not according, and this is against, he's quoting Jeremiah here, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand and led them out of Egypt, because they did not continue in my covenant and, and I disregarded them, says the Lord. It's interesting that many of the quotes that you find in the Bible are not from the Hebrew Old Testament, but from the Septuagint, from the Greek copy of the Old Testament. And so there's a slight difference when you read Jeremiah, then you read the New Testament, because we're going from the Hebrew over into English when they're going from, from Greek into it. But he's basically saying the same thing. You didn't keep the law. It wasn't God that broke it. Verse 10, for this is the covenant that I make with the house of Israel. After those days, says the Lord, I will put my laws in their mind and I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. None of them shall teach their neighbor and none his brother saying, know the Lord for all shall know me from the least of them to the greatest of them. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their lawless deeds. I will remember no more. Again, the new covenant forgiving sins. And then verse 13, in that he says, a new covenant, he has made the first obsolete. Now, I like the way that's worded. It's, it's not done away with. It's not horrible. It's not ugly. It's just obsolete. There's a new covenant now. You don't use a typewriter anymore. Why? Was a typewriter bad? It helped you type letters. It's better than writing them out, right? You even had that little erase paper you could put in there, thump and erase something that you made, right? But a typewriter's obsolete today, right? 
Now we have to live with printers, which is a nightmare. I understand, <laughs> right? Setting them up, getting them to work, getting ink in them, having them not stopping in the middle of a print job. Can you tell that I have frustrations with my printer at home? But it's obsolete. Uh, typewriter's obsolete, so we don't have them anymore. Except if you're really somebody who wants, uh, really an old, an old soul, you might still have one. So the law is just obsolete. Doesn't say it was bad, doesn't say it was horrible, just obsolete. This, this is what it says. The first is obsolete. Now what is becoming obsolete is growing old and ready to vanish away. When this was written, they were still going into the temple and giving sacrifices. This was written before 70 AD. But God was about to do something with the law. He was about to destroy the temple where they would not be able to go and give the law anymore. He was about to scatter the people of Israel all around the world, taken captive by the Romans, murdered by the Romans, surrounded for four, by, and, and sieged for four years. This is why Jesus stood on the Mount of Olives and wept over Jerusalem because he said, the day, this day's coming upon you. They didn't have to have it happen. Jesus, if you look at what Jesus said when he, when he wept and cried for them on the day that he rode the, the, the donkey's colt into Jerusalem, it was because they didn't receive him as the Messiah. And they were taken captive and they were led away. The temple was destroyed. When Jesus walked from the Temple Mount over to the Mount of Olives a week before, his disciples said, uh, they, they, they showed him the great stones of the temple. And Herod's temple the remodeling of the second temple was really good. I mean, amazing bricks, amazing building, amazing building quality. And they said to Jesus, the creator of the heavens and the earth, by the way, look at these bricks that, that Herod used to build this. And Jesus said, tear this temple down and in three days I will, I will raise it up again. Which we're then told in quotes, I mean, in, in, in a quotation, I mean, in uh, parentheses, uh, this he didn't speak concerning the temple, but his own body. That his body was the temple that would be raised up in three days. But then when he sat down with his disciples, he said, they said, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming? And he eventually said to them, he said, make sure no one deceives you. But he eventually said, not one stone will be left upon another of the temple. And today when you go to, to Israel, there's not one stone on the temple mount that, from that temple. It was a 10-story high building. And every stone by 125 AD had been removed from that temple mount. Even as Jesus said, it was gone. Even if you wanted to keep the law, you couldn't anymore. When this was written, you could. So what's he saying again? I just flipped my notes upside down. Verse 13, and we're going to close. And, thus he, and this he says, a new covenant has made the first obsolete. Now what has obsolete is growing old and is ready to vanish away. So that if people from Israel today even want to keep the law, they can't. They can try what they want to and they, they can keep some of the dietary laws and they do. And they also break them. But he changed it so much that they couldn't. Don't you think it would be even a different deal today if the temple was still standing? That even as, as Christians, people would be saying, people say now that we have to keep the law. There's Gentile Christians who tell you you have to keep the law in order to be right with God. 
Can you imagine if the temple was still around? They'd be like, you've got to go and make sacrifices at the temple and be right with God. They would, they would do that. But God hasn't allowed that so that we would know that the new covenant is better than the old covenant. And the new covenant has been given to us by Jesus Christ. Stand with me, would you? And let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for this chapter and for all of the passages in the Bible that tell us of this new covenant. We are so thankful that, that our sins are forgiven. We are so thankful that we have an inheritance that is a co-inheritance with you as our older, as the older brother, as the firstborn. We have it all. And Lord, we pray that we would walk close with you. And I pray with those that may be struggling with the law, may be struggling with the Sabbath, may be struggling with keeping certain parts of the law. Lord, I pray that they'd be set free from all of that. That they would know the Bible is so clear that those things are obsolete and, the, and we're living the better now. Why would they go and hang on to something that is a shadow when we have that relationship with you of the new covenant, even spoken by Moses and Jeremiah. We thank you for this. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.